Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's 27th episode is someone who was just born for film. From Oregon to the great streets of L.A., he is a degree in film and from Portland State University, and he's taken his studies and his talents to create multiple different films, including Despondence, which has made him a quarterfinalist in both the Blue Cat Screenplay Competition and Big Apple Film Festival in 2020. But before that, his feature-length background noise that was a category winner at the Oregon Independent Film Festival. And so now he's writing pilots, getting ready to make his big break into the beautiful and, let's be honest, kind of weird uh, entertainment industry. And soon you might see him winning Golden Globes and even Oscars. But for right now, he's here to talk about his life, his achievements, and everything he loves about film and TV. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the great Adrian Trujillo. How's it going, Adrian? Good. Um, last year, my pilot, Buckshot Bubblegum, um, was a top three finalist at Barnstorm. And uh, a, it, it made it all the way to the top 20 for the horror category on the Coverfly Red List. Nice. My goodness. How good. And that's like... You know what? <laughs> just for just for one month. But still, I was in the top oh. 20 of all the, of the 8,000 scripts, which is wild. Um, yes, that is wild. And you know, we're going to talk more about that um, in a second. First, let's just, um, you know, let's get to know you a little bit more, Adrian. So... For the people who don't know, just tell us, who and what exactly are you? Um, uh, okay. I um, am, uh, uh, my name is Adrian Trujillo. I uh, live in um, the L.A. area with my husband and our three dogs. Uh, my husband's name is Boya. Our three dogs are um, Banksy, Cuco, and Limp Biscuit. Um, <laughs> I I sit at home and uh, chill out in various states of dress, watching TV and writing TV um, all day, most days. Uh, for my um, for my paid work, I do freelance video editing. Um, sometimes I script doctoring other people's work, and I um, I do background acting. And well, and also regular acting. You can catch me in The Sovereign coming out sometime this summer. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as what I am, um, <laughs> I I'm a I am a human male. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gay, I'm Cuban American, I'm 
uh, I don't know. I don't know what you want from that that question. Honestly, there you go. That works, you know? You're human, male, you're here to just talk about uh, life, your passions. You are here because we want, like, you to tell all. We're excited. We're, everyone's excited for this, and everyone's going to enjoy this episode, Adrian. And Hopefully. Pardon me for the uh, mispronunciation, Adrian Trujillo. Trujillo, Trujillo yeah. Yeah, uh, thank you for that, uh, Adrian. So, let's just go into a little bit of um, your backstory. So, just for people who don't know, tell me, uh, just what got you into uh, film in the first place? Um. Well, okay. Uh, there's a there's a number of uh, starting points, I guess, in the course of my life. Um, the first time I was interested in film ever, um, I saw the movie the JJ Abrams movie Super 8 um I was I was a kid I don't I don't remember exactly how old I was uh maybe 12 13 14 I don't know but I got I was so excited after seeing that movie I was running around my house jumping up on the furniture and I was like oh my gosh like movies could be so many things I don't know why but I had never seen a movie that like it just encapsulated so much various different emotions in it, right? Because that's like a fun children's action adventure film. But it's also got this underlying, like, deeper story about grief in it. And it was just a combination of, like, bittersweet and, um, I don't know, high-flying adventure that made it feel, it made me feel for the first time that uh, movies could, could, could really encapsulate, like, the fullness of human experience within them. And I don't know, it just made me really excited. The next time uh, I got really excited, I watched the movie Rango, the Nickelodeon movie. With, really? Uh, I love that movie. Uh, I love that movie. <laughs> um, it's, it's legitimately one of, one, of the, the, uh, one of my favorite Westerns probably ever. Um, and, uh, and, and that movie, like, I don't know why, but it was something about the writing of that movie um, the fact that like every line um at the beginning of the movie like the first i guess third of the film almost every line is some sort of foreshadowing to something that you're going to see later almost directly um and like they're just describing things like they're describing his life or what he wants to do or um the town of mud and the way that they're just describing these things are like reflective of events that happen later and i noticed that as a kid and i was just like Wow, like whoever wrote this was a genius. <laughs> I don't um I don't know if anyone else had any of these experiences with these two films. Like to me, like I know the reputation of these two films are that they're mid or, you know, like they're good, but they're not like the all time greatest films. To me they're great. Okay. I will defend them. Um <laughs> but uh like I don't know. That you don't you don't pick which movies inspire you, I guess. You don't pick which what finally, you know, what voice comes down from the heavens at, at what time. Um, and these just happen to be mine. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I I love them, and I think I pray to J.J. Abrams every day and thank him for it. Um, and <laughs> That's super sweet. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating, you got to think, just how they're able to take, you know, these two elements that, like, really represent sort of innocent children and for Super 8 and, like, animals for Rango. They'll take these two things and 
add like deeper layers into it, like grief, responsibility, um, acceptance of like who you are, and just all these different all these different parts that just have much more you know mature maturity to them, really. Yeah. And it's blended together and makes just a fascinating story. Just like, what do you make of it? What do you make of a director or a screenwriter sort of being able to like? just combine the two like that, just sort of light and dark and make something so compelling. I mean, I think, um, I think one, it's in our job description to, um, to empathize and to understand, um, and people who empathize and understand, I, to me, okay, there's this thing on Twitter and, and on, Instagram, like social media in general, I guess, this like sort of cult of positivity or like toxic positivity of like, oh man, I don't want that sort of energy in my life. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk about the news. Um, this, like you, you block people for being too negative to me, like those people wholly lack the empathy required to be like screenwriters. And the same is true for people who are just like constantly angry. Though I know if you have seen my Twitter, you probably think I'm one of those people, Uh, (laughs) but like, I'm not, I just, I just, I, Twitter does something to my brain. Um, but like, when you think of like empathy, I'm thinking like, what I'm I'm thinking from that is you believe that it's a screenwriter's job to not leave out, like, the negatives and, like, just the positives, to be able to just... Maturely approach life. That's what, yeah. It asks of you to to maturely approach um, life and and, um, really look at... at, really look at with empathy um, multiple sides of of an equation. You know, we're always asking ourselves, well, is this, this villain that I wrote, like, one note? Like, you know, we have to think about whether or not the the person that we're reflecting when we write someone, even even someone we, we despise, whether or not they're a real person or they feel real or they feel convincing. And I, I think that takes a, a, you know, a level of empathy. Um, now I'm confused. What was the, the original question? <laughs> no, no, you pretty much uh, answered it. You answered it already. Yeah. So that that part's good. It was just about talking about how a screenwriter combines, you know, sort of like the innocence of something like children and animals, and then adding in like the deeper layers of like maturity. Uh, yeah, and you, you still know, have to have an imagination, you know. You still have to have. But you know, yeah, you still have to have a met. Uh, oh, stuff that. What else? I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I cut I cut you off. So <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just. Um, because it also it also got me thinking of uh, that film. You ever seen uh, Maleficent with Angelina Jolie? Um. Yes. Yes, I have seen that movie. Yeah. So. Yeah. See, what got me thinking about that was compare that to like you know Maleficent's uh, first appearance in that movie Sleeping Beauty, where she's just this you know diabolical evil um, being who's just evil for the sake of being evil and doesn't have much redeeming qualities. They take that all the way, like fast forward years later, to um, Angelina Jolie playing this kind of like sympathetic and character who takes on a much more humanizing, like just appearance yeah. and uh, personality. And just thinking about what you said on how 
an, an author is like, well, just, you know, just take a human approach, just treat act with empathy, see the um, see from the character's perspective of whether they're like one note or just, you know, as the rest of us human. Yeah. And it's just got me thinking a lot about um, the comparisons of Maleficent within those two uh, movies. Would you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. Um, I mean, I think, I think, well, I think that's why I tell people when I go to like writers mixers and, and Hollywood mixers that, um, uh, that my, my primary genre is crime. Um, which I don't even know is true. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I consider myself to have a primary genre, um, but I do, I do, I am fascinated with the crime drama, um, the, the American crime drama or the neo-noir because it, it, it is this sort of exercise in empathy. Um, you are depicting criminality, things that we do bad, you know, like in our, in, in society, but you're depicting it in a way where you're, you're humanizing the person. Like, like American crime stories are usually character studies. Right. Like, um, you know, I'm not talking about crime in terms of like crime mystery, like the detective genre. Like that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stuff like 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 Scorsese films or um, Coen Brothers films, like where crime is um, a thing that that the characters are engaging in either through desperation or um, through ambition. But either way, we are made to empathize and understand and rationalize what they're doing as as if it were their only choice or the best choice in in that scenario a lot of the times people in in the crime drama genre sorry are um you know pushed into their positions through like some some particularly bad material conditions in their lives and yeah like i think i think it's important for us to have like as screenwriters to have empathy for all sorts of people um, because one, it leads to better stories. Uh, but two, I think because people, people are owed empathy regardless of, of whether or not, you know, they shoplift $20 at the, the corner store or not, you know, <laughs> like that guy who does that thing does it for a reason. And if you understand what that reason is, um, then maybe in the future we could do better at 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 changing the circumstances that lead to that line of reasoning um to prevent sort of those sorts of things i think i don't know i think empathy is important in terms of just like society at large i guess i feel like i'm rambling again yeah. <laughs> no it's all good you know it's just empathy you know that's just uh almost feels like an underrated word at this point yeah but uh yeah, it comes yeah. up a lot, but I don't feel like a lot of people really have a meaningful understanding. You know, when we see films like that where they're just telling stories through different lenses and different ways like that, there's some showing signs that people do can, you know, show that empathy. Um, so let's just uh, take it back to uh, to you, uh, Adrian. So when you uh, started filmmaking, what were some of the like first challenges that you had to uh, overcome in order to get where you are? Oh, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of leads me back to your question about, like, what got me into film. Um, so, um, when I... I entered film school um, as a homeless person. Um, I entered film school with no... Like, I, I didn't have anywhere to live. I was living on couches. Um, and I was living on couches because... I mean, we could go into that if you want. Um, but I had experienced some significant um, trauma. My parents found out that I was gay when I was 18, and they decided they didn't like that. So, anyways, <laughs> okay, I was, I like, confused. homeless and had, like, no um, ideas to what I wanted to do. With my life, um, I my parents had been jazzing me up to be like to like go to some Bible college in Redding, California, and be a musician. Um, and I I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. Film had always been something that I was kind of interested in. I needed housing, and college I had been told was a was an easy means for me to get housing because I was smart and I had good grades and whatever i got in and they did it did pay for my housing but i had to choose a degree and i cho chose film i mean not because i actually wanted to i think at the time but because i like needed to i like needed to choose something i needed to pick something and i wasn't there to actually go to college i didn't want to go to college i just wanted a place to live um so yeah i mean that was a huge barrier at first <laughs> um I couldn't wow. like, you know. I've always had I have always had money problems since then. I mean, now I'm like sixty grand debt on a film degree, so like that's, uh, you know, that's a significant setback. Um, but like, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. You've 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 climbed one hell of a mountain, honestly, just to get this far. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess <laughs> I, I, I've, I've come so far and fought so hard, but in the end, uh, it did matter. I guess I had three, I have three, uh, three dogs and a husband and I live in a house. I mean, we rent this house, but you know, it's still, I still have a yard. That's fun. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a journey. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I guess I've always thought about life in general or film as like a perseverance game as like, as long as you are working towards a goal and as long as you are willing to keep working towards that goal, your chance of actually getting to that goal is not zero. And if you give up, then it is zero. So like, <laughs> you might as well. I mean, you only got one life, right? Like, was I going to waste my life being, like, I don't know, something, doing something I didn't enjoy, being something that I, I hated, being someone that I wasn't? Uh, no. I, I'm, why would I, why would I waste a lifetime doing something that didn't make me happy? Um, so I just kind of, I haven't really, I, I have had a lot of stuff stand in my way, but it doesn't really, I don't know. I, 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 there's no question in my mind whether or not this is what I'm supposed to be doing at this point in my life. All right. Well, then let's, um, 
take a little bit further ahead when you were um, releasing your films. So let's just let's just talk about one of them. And I want to start um, with uh, your your um, feature length uh, background noise. So when you were uh, working on that, just uh, take me through. What were some of the ideas that um, you were thinking of that like helps bring it to uh, bring it to life? Oh yeah, um, background noise began as uh, it began as a originally an, an idea for a web series where one each sort of 15 minute episode would follow a different character uh, just going through a day um and at in college and like the the various events that would happen in the day would like correspond to some sort of key trauma that each character had um it was sort of like i guess if you think about it like I was just making my version of an American Skins. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that show, the British television show Skins. Pretty good. Uh, Re- recommend it. Um, at least until a point, it gets it falls off, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, e- you know, each character's a, each episode is about a different character. You're following just them but they all sort of live in the same world and interact with each other uh, throughout the episodes. Um, and uh, I submitted it to um, this contest that, that Portland State University Television was putting on. Um, and uh, the winner of the contest got their movie produced by, by PSU TV. Um, and I, I won. The actual like group writing that happened after that point was a little bit um, rocky to say the least, but um, eventually the movie came out. I don't know. The rest is history. Um, It's a, it's, I don't know. I I guess it was my, it was my first exposure to like working with other people on something, Um, having a very collaborative space. And I mean, maybe to some degree there were, there were, times and decisions that I could have made that made that could have made that whole thing go smoother. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Don't want to con don't, don't enter contests where the, the prize isn't money or some sort of like legitimate prize because, uh, cause, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was like told I was a bad writer by like the people who chose my script to produce like every day for like three months. It, it really sucks. Um, I don't have any ill will towards those people anymore. We were all pretty young. Um, but I'm, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, when I look at that movie on my IMDb, it kind of feels like a stain a little bit, to be honest. I mean, I'm proud of it. I'm proud that I had something that got made that was good enough. But it, like at this point, it's like it's like none of my writing is really in it, and it's uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, then it's not staying. If you're proud of it, it's not staying. You know, that's just one step closer to you know being like a great screenwriter and, and a great um, director. So nobody can will ever tell you like your work sucks. You know, that's just praise. So that's just like. That's another achievement right there because now a lot of people, a lot of people want to make films, just a lot of them don't do it. Yeah, you know. But um, so yeah, but hey, when you're 
when you're taking like um criticism and like you know just like you know like negative feedback like how are you able to like just well let me ask you this maybe this is a better question yeah like how how would you like compare like um how would you want people like to properly like you know critique uh, someone's story rather than like how you've seen or how you've experienced others like um giving their thoughts on it something Oh yeah, I mean, I think criticism is a skill. Like, I think I think criticizing someone's writing in a way that is both effective and, um, and, and like actually, first of all, we we're rarely able to actually get at the the note we want. You know, when we criticize someone else's work, um, we're human beings aren't as good at language as we'd like to think that we are, and you know, the the connection between our feelings and our language it. it not everyone is as uh, as in tune with as they would like to believe, and so you, when you feel discomfort dis- discomfort in something in a movie, um, but you can't exactly pin- pinpoint what it is, you will pinpoint the symptoms around that issue, right? And you'll 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 give those as criticisms. You'll say like, oh man, I just I feel like the names just are too similar. Like, I I feel like these the these two characters just like I don't know you you might not give it might be valid criticisms in terms of of diagnosing a symptom, but it's not necessarily um actually getting at the heart of the problem with a screenplay or with a with a piece of writing um and and you know that's what they that's why they say like you always have to listen for the note behind the note because someone might say, you know I feel like this is really um this is really just a, a, a feature-length thing that you're pretending is a pilot. Like, it, it would be better as a feature. The note behind the note there is, like, it's not paced like a pilot. You're pacing it wrong, right? So I think a lot of people, when they give bad criticism, it comes out of, a like, one, they're not actually sure what the real issue is, but they're sure there are things about it they absolutely don't like. So they mention those. Um, but really what they're having a problem with isn't that. Um, I feel like people are overly eager sometimes to tear other writers down and to, like, just um, produce a list of nitpicks of, of, of things, again, picking symptoms around the edges. Um, you feel like that line was a little bit on the nose. You feel like these things are, uh, you know, like this sequence happens too fast or whatever. Like those are, each of these are legitimate criticisms, but you know, sometimes the the real issue is like, well, this whole script is just, you know, it's, it's trying to, it's, it's struggling to find its audience. It's not, it's not, you know, I don't know. I've, I've, I've been to meetings where people have just like, like harped on, a script basically because it didn't match the log line, right? Like they're like, I, I feel like the the log line made me feel like this was a mystery, and I just I know who the killer is from page one. And it's like, well, that's not an issue with the script. That's an issue with the log line. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's very easy for writers to to get overly critical and um, get just like throw out um a a like laundry list of things that 
And this can be very discouraging. And I know there are a lot of writers, there are a lot of very negative people on Twitter and, and, and especially like the, the writing subreddit um, that uh, say, you know, well, if you can't take criticism or if criticism ever makes you feel discouraged to be in the industry, then you shouldn't be in the industry. I think that's absolutely, that's just absolute bullshit. Like that's absolutely just you wanting to feel comfortable with the fact that you were bullying people you're insecure about your own writing and so you're just like like uh, i don't know getting something going out ham. Uh, going ham on people because you because because they haven't learned that thing that took you years to to learn um and you know and you, you just you just really want to make someone feel the way that you felt the first time somebody laid into you um, that's what I'm saying. Like empathy, man. Like, just think, well, put yourself in the mind of the writer and yeah. try and understand what it is they're going for and what is it, what is it they want to achieve with the the story that they're telling, and then base your criteria as to whether or not this is a good or bad script based on what that is, what what they want the story is. Uh, story yeah. instead of forcing your own perspective of what how you would write the story or how you would want this story to go, right? Yeah. Like, you know, this person is writing a. This person is writing a pilot, right? It, they're not yeah. writing a feature, so this is better as a feature. Is useless, useless criticism. It's Instead, just, say if you want to write this as a pilot, here's how. You know, like yeah, here's how you would reformat things to do that. Yeah. That's a better cri line of criticism. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, it's just like um, that's why it's got me thinking so much about those. Um, you know, popular um, critics on YouTube, you know, with Critical Drinker, um, Chris Duckman, Jeremy Johns. Uh, when you, in your opinion, uh, you, you've seen these guys and um, their critiques, right? So, like, how would you, like, who would you say does it best on uh, YouTube and who needs really needs to improve? Well, I mean, I think I think, like, YouTube film criticism is a different... I think that's a different industry from like the criticism that that two writers might give each other. Um, okay. You know, you know, Jeremy Johns is, is like he's uh, he's critiquing a finished film, and he's critiquing it for the purpose of of consumption. You're not he's he's not actually honestly engaging with the material because he wants the filmmaker to do better or change or or shift their focus. Um, it, it, instead, he is giving this criticism because there is an audience that trusts his opinion on things who wants to know whether or not the movie is any good and whether or not they should go see it, or just because they like Jeremy John's videos and they want to, you know, consume those. So, like, uh, and forgive me, Jeremy John's is the guy who's like, no, you know, see this movie, no alcohol required is his, like, that's his best rating, right? Uh, I think I feel like maybe on, you're him or drinker. Jeremy, oh, J critical drinker annoys me, um, oh, yeah? but for different reasons. Uh, yeah, no, I'm that's I'm thinking of Jeremy Johns. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, critical drinker. Uh, there's a I think if if you want to tell like yeah, Jeremy Johns is doing a he is he is a he's a businessman making a product and he's selling that product to an audience. I mean, he's a content creator. That's what he's doing. So like whether or not that criticism is good or bad, I don't really feel the need to like 
criticize his criticism, first of all. Why? But second of all, like, you know, it, it he's just doing something different than, like, in our writing groups or in, in um, on Twitter when you read someone's script and you're like, ugh, and, and that, that script on the blacklist sucked. Like, that I think is different. Um, I, I mean, I you know. You got to think about what it is you want to you want to get across um, when you criticize someone, whether or not you want to actually have them learn something, or whether or not you're just doing this to to uh, to to satiate a, a need for your audience to like have your opinion be heard. Um, but like critical drinker annoys me on a different level because man, that thing about notes behind note. Okay, critical drinker. Um, tends to attribute a lot of things to wokeness, like like a movie is bad because they cast a black person or like a woman in this specific role. Like he hates the. Am I right? Am I wrong in my assessment on that? Because I feel like I've I've seen him do. Well, he has, well, he has mentioned about like you know sort of woke culture and um, uh, a lot of, and a, a lot of his uh, videos and he. Um, Kind of, he does like um, argue the um, his problem with you know um, certain castings and uh, and and well he does not also he does not um, hold back in how he feels about something too yeah definitely you know I mean the, okay so like that's that's my thing is like like criticizing criticizing the ideology behind casting decisions when you're criticizing a movie. Is wholly unsatir- it's wholly unserious criticism. What does that have to do with the art being made? How would casting a black person be indicative of the quality of the movie, whether or not the story is written with with the right amount of weight and with the right amount of purpose, whether or not the direction had an artistic vision that was conducive to telling the type of story that is like. It, like it's like it's it's like saying that the movie is bad because the drapes were blue, right? Like it it doesn't obviously people's like ethnicity or gender or sexuality has maybe more um, contextual weight than like the color of of the background, but when you're talking about a movie, there's so many more interesting things to talk about, like to actually criticize. Like, for instance. The way that some YouTube reviewers like criticize like the new Star Wars movies as being like, and they're listen, I don't like them either. <laughs> okay, they're they're awful. But to me, like, if we want to talk about like like Ray Skywalker <laughs> and whether or not like like um, she's a bad character, we can talk about the way that she's written, whether or not the the story challenges her enough, or whether or not like. She has just handed things. The victories that she has feel earned. But you can't just stop your argumentation at, well, she's a woman, and Hollywood has this, there's like this conspiracy in Hollywood to make women, to make bad female characters, and it's all because of wokeness. It's just like, it, it's just ma- taking what could be an interesting intellectual discussion about the merits of a piece of writing and and boiling it down to the most like rudimentary aesthetics. It's it's lazy. It's lazy. I I hate that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but there has been um, 
figure out there is some fairness in like critiquing characters like um like Ray. Um because there's sort of this almost like a sort of trend where they take like these different characters, usually like female characters, and make them like these all around, like just unstoppable characters who are Yeah, but just that's just bad it. writing. The criticism there is that it's bad writing. The criticism there isn't well, a woman's at helm and that's why they did this. It doesn't matter like <laughs> You know, Ray would be bad even if she were a male character. Like, in all of our writing rooms, in, in every, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if your listeners all attend writing groups or not. Um, but in, in screenwriting groups, in, in spaces where we, we read each other's art, we consume each other's art and criticize it, these early stages of all of our careers, um, a, a character. If I brought a, a, in a script about a man who had everything in his life handed to him, who faced very little, uh, very little obstacles in between his wants and getting what he wanted, um, the people would just pick that shit apart. And that is the same. Like that should be the same here, and it is the same here. For most most audience members didn't like these movies. Right, but they didn't like them not because she's like. I think the tendency for someone like Critical Drinker is is to preemptively predict that like because like the Lord of the Rings show had a woman at lead, it was it was filled with some some bullshit like Mary Sue propaganda. When like the real problem with that show is that it's boring. It's not even the Galadriel is not even an issue. Um, you know, like it's 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 not that these characters she has she has flaws. We've seen her in other things. This isn't you know like this isn't. But but the prediction was that they were going to make her like this big, like Ray type figure just because she was a woman. Like you know, it, I do think that there is valid criticism to be had of these these characters. But but like, why is it weighed against their gender? What what is the purpose of doing that? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So now let's just uh, go into a little bit more about um, you and um, your filmmaking. So, um, tying it right back to uh, you, Adrian, and the way you uh, tell your stories. What are some of your like favorite ways to like um, to tell it? Like, what what kind of like? Uh, dilemmas do you like to add? What kind of like um, settings do you prefer, or like you know character interactions? Like, what are some of your favorite ways to just bring us into the picture? Oh, um, <laughs> well, like I mean, like I said, I I I like the crime drama. Uh, I like um, I I mean, honestly, I grew up in in rural Oregon, um, and. Uh, had a lot of uh rednecks in my backyard <laughs> all the time um so i i kind of write a lot of my stuff sort of takes place there um in this sort of part of this part of Oregon that a lot of people don't know that it like exists that's still um very segregated and very racist and um yeah, like it's filled with people who are poor and and not 
really flourishing. I, I don't know. I guess I'm I am sort of interested in in um I guess like just like under represented geographical areas of the country, if that makes any sense. Like most most stories take place in LA or New York. And like it's getting kind of annoying. Yeah, we talk about representation uh, in Hollywood a lot, about, like, the representation of, of race or gender, ethnicity, or sexuality. But, like, a huge component of this problem is, is also, like, in geographical location. Like, the fact that everything is just, like, for instance, like, every time I see, like, an El Pollo Loco joke, like, like in the that freaking Despicable Me too. There was like, oh, El Pollo is loco. They made that joke. It's like that's a. This is not a national chain. That's a chain that exists here in SoCal, and nowhere else. No one is laughing at that joke. That joke is purely alienating to ninety nine percent of your audience. It's 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 just funny to me that like, like when people think when people from other countries think about America, when people in America think about, um. Like movies, it's all these stories that don't relate to significant portions of the population, and I don't know. That's why I like like I like shows like, um, like I like Atlanta. <laughs> a lot of films are are a lot of films and TV shows are are filmed in Atlanta, but like there's only one that's set there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I like Poker Face. I like I like films that. It films in movies that that show me different parts of the country than I'm normally used to, um, because yeah, I it's appreciate kind of boring. <laughs> I appreciate that too. Like I was, I, I'm already like I assume I'm like getting tired of seeing all these shows and TVs where, where the setting is always like either L.A. or New York. It's just like you know, actually, you're making people think at this point that those are the only two cities to go to. When yeah. it's just like we have so many other cities, so many other areas that are beautiful or really fascinating, got great people, and you don't know about it. That's why I like, that's why I appreciate films like, uh, you ever seen Nomadland? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Nomadland, where you take like these group of people um, who are just out on the road, traveling all these different cities you might have never heard of, but all have like just, are like some of the most relatable and like sympathetic people, and you find their stories like really really fascinating, especially, um, you know, with the people, um, especially with the protagonist, um, Frances McDormand plays and the people like, um, she meets and, um, befriends and, and the leader, um, who runs the, uh, um, who helps the nomads on their journey. Like there's just that right there to me. is just like, see right there. That is storytelling in a different place other than LA or New York. That's right. There's art. Yeah. And so, it's just it's just moments where you're just like finally, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there are varying different ways that we can categorize human experience, and we, I don't know. I think it's a it's a it's a a, a missed opportunity that that American film has been so heavily concentrated, like heavily polarized in into these two um, spaces where where almost all storytelling takes place. Um, it, you know, yeah. I get production taking place um, in in singular location or, or in polarized locations because of that's just economics. But the stories themselves are are set 
um, are set there, and that's that's uh, yeah. I've always wanted to go to New York, though. It works. The propaganda works. <laughs> As someone who I feel like I'm significantly lacking there. an American who has never been there. Yeah, someone who's been there, people can't see it. Some people can't see it, but I'm wearing a New York beanie right now. As someone who's no. been there, it's, uh, it's an experience you got to try at least once, so I, I recommend it. Yeah. Are I you know. from there originally, or are you just wearing that hat? Yeah, just uh, went there for college and then stayed there for a job. So oh. and got to enjoy all the, well, nice. almost all the sites of New York. I'm not done yet, but, yeah, it's a nice city. How often do the people on your podcast get to know you, Jonathan Carr? Well, a lot of the guests um, know me already. You know, we've got a lot of that relationship. A few, try to get acquainted with them. Uh, a few of the guests who I didn't know already before, you know, so we just kind of like chit-chat chit chat a little bit and um, talk a little bit. And I tell them why I'm doing this, you know, this podcast. It's just all about shedding light on people who are still, you know, working towards their goals, their dreams, like where they want to be, you know, what they want to do. And because yeah. everybody, you know, who's doing that deserves recognition. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, like, a, lot of, a lot of people on the show I already, I already know. But, you went to film school in New York or just what did you study? No. Uh, I went to SUNY Purchase College. Uh, it's in Westchester County of New York, so a little bit away from uh, a little away from Manhattan, and not too far. And I studied creative writing there and uh, economics, because I wanted to be a novelist. But my love for storytelling just sort of expanded into film and TV. So it's just like, oh, I want to give screenwriting a shot, and. Eventually, now I'm doing so many different formats, so many different uh, styles, and it's honestly so much fun being a storyteller. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's wonderful. It's 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 an art. It's, it's, it's actually the most beautiful art. Anyway, yeah, but um, I agree, truly. But um, back to you, uh, Adrian. You know, I noticed. Uh, yeah, your stories, your um, the addition of uh, comedy, and what we were talking about serious, uh, serious topics, you know, with crime and with um, just you know segregation, discrimination, just also shedding light on places of different uh, geographical areas. How does like comedy play a uh, um, play a role in your um, in your visions and in your storytelling? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I mean, I think about it the same way that I think about like. Like, I don't... <clears throat> this is going to sound so, like, new wave of me. Uh, genre is, is an important form of categorizing stories because it's, like... It, it, it's just... It's just... It's just about organizing... It's just about organizing thoughts, about organizing... Putting stories into into specific boxes so that you can... You can put them on shelves. But to me, like... Like, nothing is... Nothing... It, nothing that represents life is ever singularly focused. Um, there's comedy in anything. There's comedy in everything. There, there, <laughs> there is, there is, uh, there's tragedy in everything. There's sadness and 
lust and um there is happiness and joy and like it, i i think movies like super 8 for instance like they you you strike a balance like uh between feelings you you have to because otherwise your audiences are going to get bored of what's going on like if, there are certain movies i cannot watch they're just too much there's too sad the whole time there's no moment like of levity the fireflies. yes um a uh, beautiful film but i've never seen it more than once because it's just <laughs> it, it's too brutal it's too brutal um you know i and to me like like look even if my I have stories of, of a time in my life where um, everything was hectic and chaotic and I didn't know where I was going to get my next meal, but they're still, like, fucking funny if I break them down. <laughs> like, um, you know, it, it, there is, there's a humor to everything. The, the world has a darkly comedic edge and you can't, we could pretend it's not there. You could say it's not appropriate, but it's there. It's always there. And like, I don't know. I I guess I just I like to, for my own sanity, um, write in moments of levity and joy, or just I like irony and satire into things because it's uh, one that's how life is, and two. Um, I would uh <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get through any of my stories <laughs> if I didn't. <laughs> um yeah, so, but now the final question I want to talk about you say this? Bookshop Bubblegum. Yeah. Bookshop Bubblegum. I'm sorry. It's a pilot. So yeah, so when you were when you created this um pilot and you were able to release it, did you even despite all the um, hard work you did on it, you still feel like, um, and I know we talked about prison and everything, but you still feel like, like this was ready for the world, like this was going to be going, or do you still think to yourself, eh, I should pull this back and work on it a little bit some more? Um, the work is never done. You you just decide to stop, right? Um, that's not my quote. I forget whose quote that is, but um, you. It like for Buckshot, for instance, like it did really well, um, and uh, you know my current draft of it is pretty popular, but um, I'm I don't know. In a year or two, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it down and I'm gonna rewrite it and then re-upload it. Like that's what I think. I don't know. That's my work ethic that I've I've sort of developed uh, over the last few years, which is like, I am always working on something new um, while simultaneously um, editing something old. And uh, eventually, I'm so I like, I rotate through projects that way. Um, Like, for instance, right now I'm working on a a pilot about a, a, it's a family drama about a pastor's family not at all biographical not no, nothing no, no relation to my real life at all don't worry um uh okay. you know <laughs> but um 
Yeah, it's it's, but at the same time, I'm also um, still editing my my feature that I completed this year, Redneck Royale, which is also the first feature that I ever wrote. So, like to me, like the universe gave you an idea, right? A, a a brilliant, beautiful expression of creativity. Who are you to deprive the world of that? I know a lot of writers who like throw out ideas. They're like, "Oh, okay, I'm you know that was 13 scripts ago. I don't want to think about that anymore." I can't do that. My new scripts are recycled old scripts uh, most of the time. <laughs> Not most of the time. I mean, I am all, all constantly coming up with new ideas, but like, yeah, I don't think you just throw anything away. Just put it on the back burner and and take it out and and you know come back to it a couple of years later. And like, I'm gonna do that with Buckshot eventually, like next year or something. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. You know what? And it is true, like a, a writer's work um, is never done. I was, I, was, I was just curious anyway. But, you know, when you were able to, like, um, release Buckshot Bubblegum and get that, you know, just great reception, just how did it make you uh, feel about your, uh, about your story when you were given that praise and just this recognition for um, all that hard work. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I mean, I felt, I think I felt for the first time that, like, maybe I could do this. I think it was the first, like, really successful um, writing that I'd done. I mean, successful is a, you know, I, I got some interest and there were people that were, um, you know, I, I I won prizes at a contest. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then I hadn't done that before, and I didn't really think of myself as like someone who could who could write better than three thousand other people. Um, I, I still don't think I can. First of all, I'm not. I I don't believe in any sort of meritocratic system to this at all. I think um, people are. I think it's mostly luck. Um, but I do think I am a good writer. Um, in terms of of how I would judge that, and uh, and it did sort of give me that sort of realization that other people think that too, to whatever degree, um, and that that was a huge confidence boost because I didn't, I, I don't know, I guess I just thought like no one got what I was doing. Ugh, it sounds so edgy now to think about that. Like I was like, no one understands me, <laughs> but <laughs> but like. Um, no, like people, people do. I mean, I, I don't know. It's about less. It's less about like writing the best, most perfect script, and more like getting your script into the hands of someone who understands, getting it into the hands of the right person for that story. Um, like that's what I think actually wins a film contest. Um, is making sure that you, you know, the first person who reads it likes it enough to be an advocate to convince the next guy who convinces the next guy who then convinces the judge, you know? Um, so and that isn't to say that there aren't like actual bad writers out there or actual good writers. You know, I just don't think I'm the authority to tell you which one is like, who is who. Um, but, um, shit, I feel like it trailed off against <laughs> <laughs> what was the original question? It's all good. It's all good. You answered it. 
you know, you've because you were able to stand out from all those other screenwriters, and you were able to get the reception. It wasn't just luck; it was your dedication to the story, and well, you were able to get it to the hands of people who understood. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think I did. I mean, I did find I did write something that um, I guess was more generally appealing. It's a crime story. It's it's a it's a sort of de- detective like. It is a crime mystery, and it's also a horror, like, fantasy. Um, so there are a lot of elements of that, I'm sure, like, more marketable or more, like, average out to the tastes of more people. Um, but uh, I don't know. Not to, under, not to undersell my own abilities, okay? I, did, I, I am a good writer. <laughs> I, um, yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, you've read, you've read my writing, right? Um, yeah, I have. You're a good writer. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I just, I, um, can you rephrase the original question? Sorry. I'm just, I yeah, feel like I had something uh, that I wanted to say that I had, didn't quite it was say. Just, it was just what your thoughts were after um, Buckshot Bowen was released and you were able to stand out and uh, from the other screenwriters and just received the, um, such um such great um reception uh for your work. Yeah, I mean it gave me it gave me enough confidence to keep to keep going. I mean I was always gonna keep going, but it like it it did really make reinforce it, it made me think, yeah, like this is this is I am cut out for this. I can appeal to other people. It is within my ability to reach other people and, and you know, pull on their heartstrings about, you know, a story like yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm real trailing. Really trailing off now. So, it's okay. So, so this is um, going to be my final question. And okay. I was watching this, um, I saw this Instagram channel, and it was giving, like, a whole list of different directors, and it said, uh, choose your top three um, directors. So, I want to ask you now, who are your top three, if you have um, three uh, most Favorite, favorite, or most influential uh, directors, film directors. Okay. Um, and it doesn't have to be just one person. Like, if you want to say like, um, like Cohen Brothers or like um, Fasty Brothers is like your number two or number three or number one. Like, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cohen Brothers. Um, one car way, and. Um, Uh, Quentin Tarantino, I guess. <laughs> That's oh, the, the, the uh, stereotypical film school answer. Um, I have more, you know. Those, these are just the three that jump out to me right now, but um, Coen Brothers is definitely my number one. Coen Brothers, I mean, all I gotta do is watch, you know, No Country for Old Men, and immediately it's just like, damn, these yeah. dudes can direct. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And you know, Tarantino, always phenomenal uh, film director. Who was the other guy you uh, you named? Uh, Juan Carway. Juan Carway. I think I've seen. Well, what, what movies um, did he direct? I think I might have seen one of his films. Yeah. Um, he uh, in the mood for love is is I think one of his more popular ones. Um, uh, I I like him because of 2046. 
which is a, a movie he directed um, that it's it's difficult to explain. It's like a guy's life and his difficulty with women, but it's also kind of a metaphor for what happens when Hong Kong gets goes back into Chinese rule. It's so weird. That's, um, I don't know. I had to watch it in film school, and the the the, the level of analysis that was put, like the an analytical microscope that was put on it, like. Um, might have colored my perception of that film a lot, but I think he's a beautiful, like, I think he's, it's, he directs some of the most beautiful cine- cinematography I think I've ever seen. Um, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll check out more of his, um, more of his films then. Yeah. That, especially that one on uh, women in uh, Hong Kong and everything, that one, um, just, I, yeah, folks, if you see if you've seen it, uh, be sure to um, DM on uh, the upcoming on Instagram. To tell me how it is. But, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the one car away from brothers and Tarantino. I mean, I can. I also like. I like Spike Lee. I like um, Bong Joon Ho. I, you know, I have a number of directors that I really like. Um, Boots Riley has only directed, to my knowledge, one movie. Yeah, but I fucking he, love them. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bruce Riley. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, oh, that's, it's a good film. It's I mean, a great I, film. I recommend that to anybody who hasn't seen it. But um, yeah, so you know what, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes uh, episode twenty-seven of the upcoming. I, I want to give another shout <laughs> out to Adrian Torrio. Just thank you so much for coming. You know. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, folks, that's it for episode 27. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. And we're also available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora. And we'll be sure to tune in for the next episode of the upcoming. So that is all, and good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody.